formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Last week, we talked about the great privilege of being adopted from slavery to royalty. And today we see how the slide in the other direction creates unnecessary conflict with others. I enjoyed the worship this morning, the blend of ancient and new, of piano and of video, um, even the, uh, the nod to the Celts as uh, the Gettys being from Northern Ireland and that song that uh, Kristen led. But before the day of music videos or the idea of creating, sharing, and projecting videos was ever conceived, we learned simple songs by echo and memorization we memorize them by repetition. And since they were often sung around a campfire or in somebody's den, song sheets were impractical and singing was often accompanied by one guitar just to help keep a rhythm and to keep us on the same tune. I'm fortunate to have my parents visiting today. And mom usually led children's music time. So she is credited with many of my earliest music memories. My dad often led youth group when volunteers could not be found in our small church. But no matter what volunteers he found or did not find, he always found someone other than himself to lead singing. We learned great songs like, No, you can't get to heaven on roller skates. You'll roll right past those pearly gates. Or we learned, Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. 
My favorite verse of that song was, Give me hot sauce on my taco and I'll witness to Morocco. I didn't learn until much later that tacos come from Central America and Morocco is in Northern Africa, but the rhyme worked, so we sang it. Um, we even sang a verse that I later learned would bless Jeff Harshman. And since he's not here this morning, some of you will have to share it with him. For we sang with great gusto, give me gas in my Ford, keep me trucking for the Lord. Because the Lord won't drive a Chevrolet. Well, as I was reading about uh, today's passage and studying, I came across the phrase, you ought to know which reminded me of this childhood song. Curious, how many were singing along with in your seats? A lot of us learn those same childhood songs. What everybody ought to know from today's text is that when we slip from our royal sonship into legalistic slavery, it robs us of joy. And it creates conflict with others. This loss of joy when we slip into slavery is the apostles' sharp question in verse 15. In verse 15 of today's text, he asks the Galatians, What has become of your blessedness? You used to be joyful. You used to love following Christ, but now it is a burden and it is a chore. And I ask you, what has happened to your sense of blessing? When we forget that we are blessed, our joy often turns into a critical spirit. And this change from blessed to critical shapes the whole passage that we are studying today. Now, I doubt that any of you woke up this morning after a short night and said, I need to go to church so Pastor Dave can straighten me out. But some of you may have said, I'm having trouble in some relationships. I wonder if being with God's people may renew my joy. And to people in that condition, the Holy Spirit prompts the Apostle Paul with great sensitivity to describe in these first verses a current relapse. 
the joy that had been introduced to the Galatians had now relapsed into something else so that they had lost their sense of being blessed. Their joy had been replaced by legalism in verses 8 and 9. Notice the word formerly in verse 8, but now in verse 9, so something had changed between formerly and now. And verse 15 connects that change to forgetting that they were blessed. See, the Judaizers had so manipulated them into a weak mindset so that instead of focusing upon their blessing, they were focusing upon all of the rules and the traditions and the requirements of the law. Now, I've mentioned the law, and I will be referring quite a bit in this message to legalism. So it is, it is essential that I tell you what legalism is and what it is not. My friend Dr. Andrus writes, Legalism is a wrong attitude toward the code of laws under which one lives, or which one imposes on others. Notice it's not the observance of rules or standards, nor even the imposition of rules and standards on others. All of us are subject to certain rules, and most of us impose rules on others, on our children, our employees, for example. The presence of rules does not in itself constitute legalism. Rather, legalism is a wrong attitude toward the rules. An attitude that exalts self and judges others. Rather than simply obeying the rules that God has given to us, we say, aren't I great? I keep the rules. Aren't you awful? You don't keep the rules. And rather than have that, that's the attitude of legalism that robs us of the joy of our salvation. Dr. Mike and myself have a history in the same fellowship of churches that applauds this wrong attitude. And both of us have found grace in another movement of churches where the joy of our salvation is applauded. Because to the legalist, he or she won't be satisfied until you are just as miserable as he is. He is so proud of keeping the rules, he won't be happy till you're miserable because you also keep the rules. Their joy had been replaced by legalism, but joy is truly produced by the Spirit, not by the rules. Joy is a product of the Spirit being in control of a life. We will look in a few weeks at chapter 5 of this same book. And looking ahead to the next chapter, we find a list of qualities that are present when the Spirit of God is in control of a life. The first fruit that is produced is love. 
And we all know the need to give and to receive love. And we understand why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that the greatest of these is love. But after love, do you know which fruit is next? Joy. Because where God's love is present, we experience joy. If you are in a relationship that seems to be missing joy, perhaps you could ask, am I loving that person the way God would have me to love him or her? If your relationship is missing joy, ask yourself, am I loving them the way God would have me to love? Because love produces joy, produces the rest of the fruit. But instead of allowing love to rule their relationships, the rules that the Judaizers had, had forced upon the Galatians had drained them of the oil of gladness. What happens when oil is missing in your hot skillet? It burns. It sticks. You don't get the, the crispy render that you hope. If the oil is missing, it sticks and it creates friction. What happens when the lubricant runs out of your engine? See, food sticks and pistons seize if there is not enough lubricant. And the scripture speaks of joy as being the oil, the lubricant of gladness. The Bible says that gladness or joy or blessedness all serve like oil into the friction of our relationships. Psalm 45, verse 7, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And because you have loved righteousness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He says, because you have sought me, you have more oil, more lubricant in your relationships than those who are around you. See, I've, fi I've finally figured out that one of two conditions must exist for gears to operate. There must be precision. Each gear has to be honed to the micron of a perfect fit. Or you need some form of lubricant. Think of an antique clock. The gears that turn from the swinging of a pendulum are manufactured to fit within one another with German precision. And if they are not precisely aligned, they will wear on each other until the clock breaks and no longer accomplishes its function. And so as long as the gear of your life is perfect, and the gear of another person's life is perfect, you can get along in harmony without lubricant. But, just a little bit of a tilt, and we need the oil of gladness to lubricate our relationships. 
I, I've been told by a mechanic when my transmission began to slip that when he dropped the pan, it was full of shavings from a lack of pressure of the proper lubricant. See, the problem with legalism is that it causes friction. Both gears need to be perfectly in line in order for things to work properly. And since we've already seen in Galatians that none of us always perfectly, continually obeys the rules, we're bound for conflict. See, the, the slavery of being very precise rule followers had gummed up the relationship between Paul and the churches that he had planted. And so he attempts to remind them, not of their relapse, but in the next few verses, he gives a compassionate reminder of his rapport with them. He reminds them of a time when their relationship was sweet. Oftentimes, in marital counseling, one of the earliest questions I ask if there is conflict in the relationship is, what first attracted you to your spouse? It's an attempt simply to reclaim the rapport that was once present. See, the rapport is described in verses 12 and 13 of kindness that was extended to the messenger. Paul came to that region, and they were kind to him. I actually read exactly as it says, I entreat you become as I, I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. I read that um, some report that there may have been a cause of malaria that motivated Paul to move to Galatia. And because he had malaria, he needed to rest and his strength was limited. And so he wasn't able to carry out his normal active uh, apostolic mission. But out of his weakness... He spoke to them, and they received that message. Just as we don't know exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh is, we don't know the particulars of this ailment, this illness, this sickness, this infirmity, depending upon your translation of the scriptures. But there was something that was wrong about the apostle, and the congregation responded to that with great kindness to this messenger who was in their midst. Paul is drawing upon the rapport that used to be present. See, whatever it was, the believers did not use his illness as an excuse to avoid Paul, but rather to receive him. They did not only receive him as a person needing compassion, but they also had great gratitude for the message that he proclaimed amongst them. Verse 14, Although my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God. I don't think I've ever been accused of being an angel of God. 
Yet there is one in our number who consistently thanks me for preaching the message of God on Sundays. See, this word angel is not necessarily harps or clouds or or wings. An angel was a messenger. And they received this sick apostle with a message from God. See, sometimes we will accept the messenger but not embrace his message. But Paul leaned into the way that they had warmly accepted him in his weakness and they had accepted his truth. They had accepted his truth, they had accepted his weakness so that they were sacrificially generous toward him. Their sense that God was blessing them by the presence and the preaching of Paul motivated them to an abundant kindness. It motivated the congregations to elaborate generosity to the point that some would have donated an eye and nerves for a transplant if it was possible in the first century. Can I let you in on a secret? Young preachers are often warned by by experienced pastors when going to a new congregation. Because it doesn't always happen this. Uh, Thankfully, I have experienced some great exceptions to this rule. But it happens often enough that wise pastors advise younger pastors of this. Be cautious of the persons who seem over-eager to win your favor. Because in many situations, your strongest supporter can become your harshest critic. And so the rapport and the love and the sacrificial generosity that used to flow between the Galatians and the Apostle has now all been gummed up because the church had turned to following rules rather than living in the oil of gladness. And so the relationship needs a change. And and this seems to be what Paul describes for us in verse 16. That those who had been on the donor registry now view him as an enemy. Which tends him to make a compelling request of the Galatians. And this is a request of us. If you want to regain the joy in a tense relationship, the compelling request is that we return to the grace of God. The problem is, is when there's no oil in our pot, when there is no oil in our engine, truth tellers can soon become our enemies. Those who had been on the donor registry now view the apostle as their enemy. This week in the news... Sides have been clearly drawn regarding the events of January 6th, 2020. 
One side had edited the video footage to portray their storyline. And another personality has edited the same footage to tell a different progression of events. And each of the sides has been demonizing the other. Because each had a story to tell, neither will admit that the scenes portrayed in the other's storyline were actually part of the total record. How many times have we seen a script that is laid out only then to find a different camera angle or a fuller recording of the events that changes our conclusions. Because sometimes truth-tellers become our enemies if their version of the story is not identical to our version of the story. The Galatians had dined at the table of the legalist so that the grace of the gospel, as preached by Paul, is now viewed as fake news. Rather than the joy and the blessing that we are one in Christ, you are heirs to his throne. You are not slaves. You are not infant children. You are full heirs of the kingdom that message had so been twisted by the legalists that now they say, that, that was fake news. That's not the truth. We also see a problem in verse 17, and that is that where grace disappears, control replaces grace. See, both the Galatians, the Judaizers, and the Apostle had versions in their mind of what pleases God. And Paul simply says, I've given you my ideas of what it takes to please God. The Judaizers have given you their ideas of what it takes to please God. Just think for a moment. What do I gain if you buy into my way? What do they gain if you buy into their way? And in essence, he says, when you allow them to play you, you are being played because they are not concerned for you. They are willing to sacrifice your joy. They are willing to sacrifice our fellowship just to make them look better. They are more concerned with controlling you than they are with allowing you to taste and to enjoy the goodness of the gospel, the grace of Christ, the privilege of a royal inheritance. And because the control of the Judaizers had removed the oil of gladness from their relationship, they view the apostle as an enemy but Paul says, think about it for a moment. They do that because it makes them look good. The only thing that I am asking of you is that you allow Christ to be formed in you. Because if you allow Christ to be formed in you, that is a much better purpose than conforming to the control of the legalizers. In verse 18, Paul underscores their value. He says, you guys, you are worth personal investment. It's always good to be made much of. 
But think for a moment about the purpose. They want to control you because it makes them look better. And I want you to grow in Christ. I don't care if you follow me. I don't care if you look like me. I don't care if you act like me. I want you to be more like Christ because that makes him look good. And that becomes the request. If you sense that your joy is draining and a critical spirit is rising within if you sense that you are allowing yourself to be controlled by the rules of others or that you are tempted to control others with rules I invite you to join King David in his prayer after he had been caught with his hand in the cookie jar, after he had been exposed for his sin with Bathsheba, King David cried, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. It's not my salvation, it's not their salvation, it's not the way they control, it's not the rules that they add. The psalmist simply says, I have sinned and I want you to restore to me the joy that you save. Many of us need to have that joy returned. The joy of knowing that we are forgiven. See, the only proper response where sin has crept in, the only proper response where the oil of gladness has run dry is repentance, confession, and trusting faith. Now you see why Miss Jean picked the songs that she did to set us up for worship today. Let us each step out of the darkness of criticism and control and step into the light of God's love and his joy. When we live under his heavenly sunlight, we become a blessing to those who are around us as the oil of gladness lubricates our relationships. I'm going to invite you to stand with me at this time as we reprise the first song. We're going to sing two verses of heaven.